Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Matt Goes to the Movies. Thanks for being here with us today. If you're a return subscriber, thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a fun one. And if this episode is the first time that you have joined Matt Goes to the Movies, welcome. Uh, We are kicking off a Spider-Man really just marathon here with the pending release of Spider-Man No Way Home, certainly an anticipated movie. But with this undertaking, I had to have some help. Uh, Repeat listeners, you know him very, very well. Rob, welcome back, man. Quite the the journey we're about to go on here with Spider-Man leading up to No Way Home. Uh, I I cannot wait for No Way Home if even a quarter of the rumors or a quarter of what we're theorizing could happen actually does. This movie could be the most mind-blowing thing that we've ever seen. Um, so I think it was a great idea for us to uh, start at kind of at the beginning of Spider-Man on film and, and work our way forward because I'm sure there's a lot of uh, listeners who would be interested in kind of revisiting some of these. But look, it's the holiday season. Not everybody has time to go back and binge all of these films back to back to back. So uh, by all means, you know, listen with us as we break down each of these and uh, we'll be more than uh, more than happy to get you ready for the, the next Spider-Man film, which could be just absolutely bananas if if anything is actually going to happen like we think it will yeah it is just wild to actually go back i mean spider-man came out in 2002 which rob now feels like a lifetime ago i mean it is 19 years um almost going on 20 now um as we you know round out 2021 that this movie came out and just absolutely shaped really the course that we're on for comic book movies you know we didn't think it would get any bigger than spider-man at one point and then we get this incredible mcu journey and now like you said it it seems like far from home i mean think about the end of you know phase three for the mcu and we were like how do they ever top endgame like what can they possibly do and now we're looking at far from home being like man like you said if a fraction of what is rumored is true like this could be the craziest biggest thing ever and how do you top that but they just keep seeming to do it but really would any of it be possible had this movie not garnered the success that it did way back when, you know, if this movie was a person, it would almost be old enough to buy a beer at this point (laughs) to think about all of the things that have happened since then. You're right. I mean, so 2002, when this movie comes out, we'd already had the first X-Men film. We hadn't gotten to X2, which a lot of people think is, is one of the better films of that franchise, you know, Logan, notwithstanding. Um, but comic book movies were not the dominant piece of pop culture that they are now. I mean, you think, you think back to what we had actually gotten. I mean, we had Batman and Robin, like, you know, almost single handedly sink, (laughs) sink comic book movies as entertainment, like just almost single handedly destroyed it. Like trying to pitch a comic book movie to a studio executive after that crap fest was, was really challenging. So you put, Marvel's marquee hero out there with Spider-Man and, and you know, the X-Men were, were sort of their marquee team, their most popular book at the time, but Spider-Man's always been their most important character. 
Mm-hmm. And you put him out there, and at the time, you absolutely nail it. Um, was so so critical uh, to the success of of this genre of film that so many people have grown to love. And and not only that, but you think about you know I, I spoke very highly during our MCU breakdown of of when Avengers first came out. That to me was was truly the sign that we the nerds had won. You know, like nerd culture is now absolutely pop culture. it is com- it is completely taken over pop culture between things like Lord of the, like high fantasy, like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and now Wheel of Time on, on Amazon. You think about just how many people are into that. Harry Potter is a massive, massive piece of pop culture. Um, comic book movies are enormous. And Spider-Man being a good film made it cool. It started to make comic books cool to the point now where you can walk around with, you know, a Deadpool t-shirt or Batman. And that's just how everybody's dressed. That's not just like, oh, you're one of those nerds. You probably play Magic the Gathering or something like that. You know, you must be a nerd. Like, no, you're cool. And and a lot of that started with Spider-Man in 2002. Um, so I was really excited. I haven't actually watched this film in a long time. Uh, so I'm, I was really excited to go back and revisit it, um, both for the show, but because I, I actually really want to watch all of these again uh, leading up to uh, No Way Home just to kind of see if there's anything that I'll enjoy more about the film uh, when I get a chance to see it. Yeah, it's certainly been a long time since I've watched this movie myself. I was certainly a, a, a much different, you know, person back then, you know, things that I like, things that I didn't like. Again, it's it's been, a, you know, 19 years is a long time since this movie came out. You know, the world has changed in so many ways in the way that we, you know, the way that we look at things and the way that things are consumed. So, I, you know, not only this movie, but yeah, going back and just seeing, okay, Spider-Man one, Spider-Man two, um, <clears throat> Spider-Man three, I had to catch my breath there for a second. Maybe that's a, a hint at where that one's going, but who knows? Um, and then even getting back into the amazing Spider-Man movie, certainly with all the rumors going around with Spider-Man no way home about who will appear, you know, I'm I'm just really excited to go back and really re-examine these movies with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh viewpoint, so to speak, on a, a lot of different things in my life. I think it will be really exciting, but, you know, those movies are for another time. It's going to be a busy schedule at Matt Goes to the Movies. Um, Rob, one exciting thing is... Uh, we do know Harrison will also from the basement binge. If you guys, uh, you know, repeat listeners, you're familiar with Harrison as well. Um, it'll be excited to get him on as well for a couple episodes. Cause we know he'll be able to join us uh, before this, uh, this marathon is over. Yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, some crossover there. Um, you know, with the, with the multiverse becoming a thing, it only makes sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before we switch over to the watch rating system here at Matt Goes to the Movies, I do want to give uh, a shout out to uh, at Westward Media uh, 1217 on Instagram. I had a poll going up and I thought his response was actually really cool. And I want to call this out, you know, so if you're listening to this episode, you know, thanks for your uh your feedback on it, but I asked, what was your favorite part of Spider-Man? And he said, as cliche as it sounds, everything. This this series shaped me in so many ways, complete nostalgia. And 
I feel like that's probably a lot of people that, you know, Rob, like you said, like after Avengers, it was like, Hey, we won. Um, this isn't just nerd culture anymore. Like it's just culture that these movies are a hit, but I feel like a lot of people when this came out probably feel the same way. And certainly people that I've talked to, you know, share his sentiments and speaking of Harrison, I'll shout out to him too, with his response of, he absolutely loves the sketching scene where he is trying to design the costume. So I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later in, you know, some of our favorite parts of the movie. So just a quick shout out to those two listeners. Uh, thank you so much for the feedback. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's um, I, I think part of what works for this movie is is part of why Spider-Man works as a character in general. And part of the reason why, as legend goes, that Spider-Man, when he was originally pitched, was shot down because teenagers were supposed to be sidekicks. Heroes weren't supposed to have real problems. All of these different things that when we think of Spider-Man make him iconic and separate him from so many of the other characters that we think of. Um a lot of that is present in this. He is a real person. He, you know, I, I really think Tobey Maguire does such a phenomenal job uh, as Peter Parker. I, I think in we talk about Batman slash Bruce Wayne. We talk about the, du- the duality of those characters with almost every iteration of the character. And, you know, was Michael Keaton a, a better Bruce Wayne than he was Batman? And, you know, Val Kilmer was a good uh, Batman, but not a good Bruce Wayne. Like there's a lot of those kind of conversations. Um and I think you could kind of do that about Spider-Man as well, because there there is such a difference, uh, particularly as as the quips start to fly, as he starts swinging and getting into battle and stuff like that, compared to you know kind of the shyer Peter Parker who who isn't used to being front and center um, and now finds himself in that world. Um, I think there's a lot of that at play uh, that we start to see in this movie. I, I don't necessarily think that Tobey Maguire's the best Spider-Man. I actually think Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man of, of the three we've had on screen. Um, but certainly I, I really enjoyed what he does as Peter. Yeah, and I think that's what you said is a perfect segue into the watch rating. So, and Matt goes to the movies... You know, this segment watch rating is how rewatchable is this movie? And it's three simple tiers. Is it low? The movie is terrible, doesn't have any reason to be rewatched. Uh, is it a medium? Uh, you know, the movie has a few redeeming qualities. It can pull you back in for a rewatch. Maybe you're hanging out with your buddies and it's just like, yeah, sure, I don't care. I can I can rewatch this. Or is the replayability high? Movie's good enough to rewatch multiple times based on a variety of factors. You know, is it funny, the visuals, the acting, anything that goes into filmmaking that would set this movie apart where you would say, yeah, you know what? I, I just, I want to watch this. I'm sitting at home and what would I, you know, put in the DVD player or, you know, my PS5 or, you know, whatever your media choice is nowadays with everything that we have. So, you know, Rob, I'll let you piggyback off of what you said. What would be your watch rating? And until we get to the next part of the show, this is all still spoiler free. So, you know, what is your watch rating along with why you would stick to that uh, with, you know, without giving spoilers on what happens? 
Yeah, so spoiler free, um, like I mentioned, I was actually really excited to get a chance to rewatch this. And that's honestly, Matt, one of the reasons I love doing the show with you is is it gives me a, an excuse to go back and rewatch some of these things that I just would never make the time for. Otherwise, um, I'm a busy guy. You know, you're busy. Sometimes it's it's tough to, you know, to really just go redo something you've already done. Um, <clears throat> so it was I was excited to sit down and check out to see how this holds up. And, and again, thinking back to 2002, it, it was probably the first time where film effects and, and computer graphics and, and all of those advancements and green screen technology, all of those things were finally good enough. You could actually successfully pull off a comic book movie. And to some extent you can, you can see kind of the, the tears around the edges here. It's, it's a bit rough in places for some of the visual effects. Um, some of the dialogue is really, really poorly written. Like it's definitely not the way human beings talk to one another. Like there's some very specific ones that were really tough to watch. Um, but I still enjoyed it. I still had a smile on my face. I still was happy with it. Uh, I'm going to give this a rewatchability rating. I'm going to say it's medium. You know, it's certainly something that I'm not going to just pull off the shelf all the time. But will it collect dust from from now till eternity? No. I mean, I'm I'm going to rewatch this film again at some point in my future. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that I feel is you know, difficult for myself and Rob, I don't know if you struggle with this or anybody listening, like as you go back and maybe you're rewatching this, you, you saw the posts on social media for Matt goes to the movies and we're like, geez, they're going to do a review. I'm going to go back and watch this myself and see what I think if it lines up with what they're going to talk about is separating what we've seen now from what we've seen back then, because sometimes I find myself going, well, this isn't as good because, geez, I love this character so much more playing Peter Parker or, you know, anything else in between that we've seen, you know, better CGI for the most part in today's age than what we got back then. So I try to look at this as objectively and rewatch this, um, you know, as possible without trying too much and kind of trying to be in the mindset of, okay, Back in 2002, how did I feel about this? And if I didn't have any other, you know, viewpoint of other characters, other representations, other actors, everything in between, how would I, you know, how would I feel about this movie? And I still think looking at it through those lenses, I agree with you. I do believe it is in that medium level for rewatch. There's certainly some some really good things here. Do I think he's the best one? No. I think Tobey Maguire does do a very good job, though, as Peter Parker. I think there's some classic Spider-Man in this movie. But then there's also when you go back and even just look at it from when it first came out, you know, there are some quips, but then it feels like they pull back too quickly on them, that he doesn't quip as much as you're used to from maybe watching the 90s cartoon of Spider-Man. He doesn't in this movie, certainly to me, he doesn't fight like Spider-Man enough. I think you know, later on, we got some great representation of Spider-Man's flexibility and agility in some later movies. And when I go back and rewatch this, it's like, okay, 
there's some really good things here, but there's also some things that, you know, make me pause and go, all right, it's, you know, it's certainly not the, uh, to me, the invincibility that it once had when I first watched this movie, but still a very, very good movie. And in no way, shape or form am I saying that this is now like on my list of, oh, geez, this is this is a bad movie. Yeah. So thinking back to before your most recent rewatch, if you had to start thinking in your mind, okay, out of five reels, what am I going to assign this? You probably started thinking in your head, like I've probably got, I think I know about where this is going to be. Um, after your most, most recent rewatch, did your projected number go down to what your actual rating is going to be that you give it later? Cause mine did. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. I, you know, I, I had an idea in my head of, yeah, just off the cusp, boom, this is what I would rate it. Then I went back and I said, okay, now taking everything into account, this is where I need, like, this is really where I need to be with this. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting into that. So listeners, here's where it breaks. If for some reason you are listening to this episode and you have never seen the first Spider-Man and you don't want to be spoiled, Pause this episode because Rob, it's popcorn time and (laughs) (laughs) popcorn time. We are going to get into heavy spoilers, breakdown of the movie, main characters, themes, relatable messages to everyday life. You know, do we have a favorite part of the movie? Do we have a least favorite part? What's our favorite character? Who's our least favorite character? So this is where we get into it. And, you know, the summary of the movie is, very simple. I think everybody knows this, you know, the the story of Spider-Man. He is bit by a radioactive spider and develops powers, but there's also a lot of, you know, obviously Tobey Maguire and Peter Parker is the main character of this movie, but there are a lot of not even, you know, if if Tobey Maguire is one, then you have to look at William Defoe as 1A and James Franco as 1B and you know everybody in between they do a good job of making the characters in this movie very well balanced out and they all have a very important part to play that was the the first thing that I wanted to talk about was rewatching this I do feel like they give the main characters in this movie enough time to breathe and they do develop them very well. I I really like um, Peter Parker's journey in this. I lo- Willem Dafoe is awesome. Like, can we just, can we just go out of like, just, he is such uh, he's a, he's a good actor to begin with, but um, brilliant casting him as green goblin. Um, I, I think he, I think he really gave us, exactly what you need in that character. It's that mixture of, of slightly crazies back and forth. And, and throughout his, his time, you know, throughout that character's time in the comics, um, you know, he's kind of back and forth with this sanity and nod and caring about his family, protecting his family, but then, you know, uh, uh, losing himself to the goblin. I, I absolutely loved him. Um, James Franco as, as Harry was, was really good too. I, I thought he, you know, really did a great job at that. Kirsten Dunst, I think, did the best she could with what she had to work with. Some of the dialogue 
is so bad in this movie. And, and some of the scenes between her and Tobey Maguire, you know, rewatching some of those scenes and looking at what the dialogue was they had to work with. I haven't seen dialogue this bad since episode two attack of the clones. Like it's, it's that level of bad, like real people don't talk this way. No, they, they don't. It's so bad. Like there's, there's definitely some different points um, that I, that I will definitely call out specifically when we get to them. Kirsten Dunst is like 23 when she's playing a high school student in this movie, by the way, I just, I always love that about Hollywood. Like they don't even pretend like these characters are actually the age they are. Right. Um, Not even close. No. And um, there's, there's some weird things that happen at the beginning of this movie. Um, You know, you talked about it being an origin story. And one of the things that um, I always think is weird about origin stories is like, it, you know, the, this character goes from being a mild mannered, you know, nobody, all of a sudden they get these powers and not only do they have powers, but they know how to like land a triple backflip and they know Kung Fu and everything else. Like just because you have super athleticism doesn't actually mean you know how to like spot your landing when you're doing a triple backflip. Like I always, you know, just find that's that stuff kind of, you know, amazing. And, and it's, you know, maybe it's just me that thinks of this stuff. Um, I think one of the biggest things though, when we're talking about the start of this movie and you're talking about the origin, it was a pretty controversial decision that they made at the time to make Peter Parker's web shooters organic, as opposed to a gadget that he creates. And definitely as a kid, I, I subscribed to the amazing Spider-Man for many years. I really enjoyed the character. I was really into him. Um, and when they did it, I was like, all right, let me see how this works. And I got to say, I still dislike it because I think to me, it takes away from the character's love of science and, and his creativeness. And also the fact that he he's always running out of web fluid, his web shooters always jam in battle, like all of this stuff, like somebody crunches his wrist and, it, and now he's only got one web shooter to work with. Like all of these kinds of things I think are essential to the character. And I didn't love necessarily that they were organic, especially because if it really was um, like the way that a spider spins it, they don't spin their webs out of their, eight hands or eight legs or whatever it is. I think it comes like out of the top of their butt or something like that. So I, I don't know. Like, what did you think of the, the organic webbing? Yeah. You know, I, again, just like a, a much different thought process for me way back when in 2002, um, I, I didn't really like, I never overly thought about it at the time. And then you know, as we got the the Amazing Spider-Man series, and then as I got you know more and more into Spider-Man, because back when this movie came out, you know, I, I still love the X-Men like to the bottom of my heart. Like when X-Men first hit in two thousand, I was like, oh my god, X-Men, and then X two, like that was still like my thing is they didn't have the success of Spider-Man, but X-Men to me was just, it was everything. Um, and Spider-Man was like, yeah, Spider-Man's cool. I, I love the cartoon and I like this movie, but I didn't really think about, okay, well, how does this pertain to, you know, him actually, again, being 
crafty and science and creating these web shooters and what kind of predicaments he was in. And uh, over time, you know, I was like, yeah, it's, it was an odd choice to go that route and be like, Oh, they're just organically shooting from his wrist. Um, regardless of whether or not it causes a funny scene when he's trying to shoot the webs for the first time and it's up, up and away web fly go. Um, you know, it causes a funny scene, but the actual decision to go that route, um, over time I did start to just sit there and go, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not on board with that. I'm not a fan. But back in 2002, we didn't have options for superhero movies. So at the time, I'm sitting in the theater just throwing popcorn in my face going, oh, this is great. I'll, I'll look past yep. this. I don't care about this. You know, just give me superheroes on screen. This is awesome. Uh, sitting here in 2021, I can go, yeah, that's dumb. Yeah, I uh, I don't like that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's something that is, you know, was an odd choice. And I do remember at the time, you know, when this movie came out, I do remember hearing people and reading just, boy, that's a weird decision. And then, like I said, at the time, I was kind of like, eh, whatever, I guess I don't care. I just, I saw a cool movie and that's that. I, I, I don't care how I got there. It's just, I got there. So I, I do agree with you there. And, you know, part of this, uh, this popcorn time is themes of the movie. And, Rob, I, I don't think it's well known. So, you know, I, I know you've got a great memory for these things, but is there one specific line for Spider-Man that is just related with this character? I think it's with with great power. I, I can't remember it exactly, <laughs> but <laughs> is, is there not something synonymous with with Spider-Man? Uh, his whole ethos with great power comes great responsibility, which is such an iconic line and, and really uh, among the most iconic lines in the entire medium of comics um, and, and just personal codes and things like that. Um, it's, it's so much so to the point where I have actually worked that into conversation in a professional setting. And, and like, nobody looked at me funny, like, wait, isn't that Spider-Man? Like, um, or some people would know that it's Spider-Man, but they'd just kind of smile and nod and be like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense here too. Um, it's it's such an incredible driving force with him. Um, so little fun fact, uh, uh, not only am I a nerd, I'm actually like a super nerd. And there is a line of, of philosophy books. Uh, it's the Black, Blackburn, um, Pop Culture and Philosophy. Something, I, It's something like that. Anyway, so they look at all of these different like characters and TV shows and and movies, and they they have all of these guest essayists write you know uh, like takeouts on um, some of the different ethical and philosophical implications. And the one that they published on Spider Man was so so good. And there's a whole chapter on with great power comes great responsibility. And it's a phenomenal essay just looking at what does that really mean? Do you have any obligation if you are somebody who has talents and abilities um, or just general power? Do you have a responsibility to do anything with it? Um, really looking at all of the answers. It goes into cloning and the ethics of cloning because we know that uh, sadly that's a, a big part of, of the Spider-Man history in, in the comics. There's always something with clones going on. Um, 
you know, looking at all kinds of different things that, that he's forced to deal with. Um, and it's, it's a great read. If you're a Spider-Man fan uh, and you have any mild interest in, in philosophy and ethics and things like that, uh, it's, a, it's a good read. And I would highly recommend you check it out. Yeah, I think they did um, a really good job in this movie of making that theme, which you said is probably one of the most well-known in comic book history. And it's, you know, it has gone beyond being just a phrase in a comic book movie and in a comic book and is implemented in real life situations. That is something I felt they did a very good job with. And especially, you know, at the end of the movie, when he has to decide whether he wants to continue being, well, not continue being Spider-Man, but, you know, what does he want to do about Mary Jane at the end of this movie? Where is his responsibility lies? And he tells her, like, I'll always be there, you know, as your friend. And this is, you know, and they portray it really well in the movie, too. But, you know, this is somebody that he has wanted to tell his feelings for for absolutely ever. But he makes the decision to, you know, this is, you know, this is my life now. I have to take this seriously. And, you know, the people that raise me to be the person that I am, like, I owe it to them to to honor, you know, Uncle Ben's legacy and everything in between. So I, I think they did a great job in this movie about relating that theme and, you know, you talked about, uh, I'll jump over to William Defoe. You, you talked about him. I love him as an actor and I think he did a great job. He's, you know, he's menacing when he needs to be. He's got that caring touch here and there in the movie when he's worried about Harry. And, you know, once Harry finds out that MJ and Peter, you know, do like each other and he tries to be there to console Harry. He's got some good moments. Um, the one thing, Rob, that I, I think there's no way we can skip it is his costume. And it's really funny because now I think what was once something that was like really made fun of in the terms of like his Power Rangers suit that people called it. I got to tell you, I see that No Way Home trailer and he comes down through the smoke on the glider. And I think over time, this is something that has actually turned in the opposite direction where it's not, at least in the, you know, the, the people that I talk to, it's not as much as a a laughing point as it was when this movie came out. Cause I know this thing kind of got ripped to shreds. Um, Willem Dafoe is kind of in that Jeffrey Dean Morgan realm of they can play a psychopath and they can charm you to, you know, to knock your socks off and, and go back and forth just as, as quick as you can snap your finger. Um, you know, both those guys are just born to play characters like that. Um, you know, Matt, long-term listeners of the show will certainly know your love for comic accurate costumes. And that's kind of what Green Goblin looks like. The glider looks like that. You know, the bombs mostly look like that. I mean, the Spidey suit really looks a lot like that. I think this is maybe the most comic accurate. I mean, he's had a bunch of different suits. But, you know, when I first saw it, I was really impressed with what they gave us. Um, As somebody who, I don't want to call myself a purist, but I, I like 
when they stick to the source material as closely as they can. I, I think there's definitely times to update it. I think the best version of that is in Iron Man when they update his his Vietnam origin story to Afghanistan. I, I just think that's phenomenal. Uh, they, they do the same thing with the Punisher, by the way. You know, they, they update him from Vietnam to, I, I'm pretty sure, it was Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, so there's there's definitely times to update. But I, I'm much more of a purist, I think, and, and I like when they when they stick to it. And yeah, I mean, rewatching it in 2021, um, the costume, yeah, I mean, it's a little cartoonish, but that's, that's what it looks like, man. <laughs> I, so I, I dug it. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, I, I definitely am too. I think it's, uh, I definitely think they, again, like you said, there, there's times when you really have to say, okay, we, we can't adapt the source material. But, you know, you mentioned Spider-Man's costume, and I mentioned it a little earlier, Harrison from the Basement Binge, with he loves him sketching out the suit. And I love that scene as well. And, boy, you know, you get the one where he is performing for the wrestling ring he wants to, you know, he wants to win the money for the car. You get that great scene with Macho Man Randy Savage, which we'll talk about, you know, more in depth. But you get his first costume, but man, when he, you know, gets into the full Spider-Man suit, you got to remember, we had two years prior, you know, we had X-Men, which again, I loved, but you had, oh, they're in all black. Like, oh, we would never find a way to translate the X-Men costumes to the big screen. And you had people who hated the Batman suits and what they'd become because, you know, they had to be anatomically correct. And it was like, why are they doing this? But, boy, this Spider-Man, this this first interpretation we got at the time was just, it, it blew me away with the detail that they had for this costume. It, it looks great. Um, you know, I, it keeps, it keeps to like, you know, his, his slender sort of, uh, feeling he, when he's swinging through the air, um, the little bit of the web swinging we actually get with him in costume. Um, it looks great. And I guess that's one of the things about origin stories and in the first film of an, of a new franchise, you know, how many times do we need to see uncle Ben killed? Cause I'm good. I've gotten the exact number of times I need it. Uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne, I've seen them killed on camera more than I ever need to. Like I'm good. I don't need, I don't need any more of that. And that's one of the things that maybe makes this film a little less fun than what it could be is because it is telling this origin. We don't get as much time with Spidey kicking ass. You know, we get a lot of him kind of, Go web, go. You know, we get that weird scene in the cafeteria where he, he just starts shooting webs all over the place. And like nobody thinks that that's weirder than it is. Um, you know, we, we get a lot of that. We get a lot of the awkwardness. And that's one of the things that I really loved about the MCU's introduction of Spider-Man is we didn't waste time. Like the only hint of Uncle Ben we really got is just the engraved, you know, monogram on the suitcase that, that leads you to believe that that's Ben Parker's suitcase that, that Peter's using, you know, like that's it. Like we don't, we don't hear his name. We don't hear anything. He just, he comes in, he's Spider-Man. We don't spend a lot of time with like, you know, figuring out how to get him a suit. Like Tony just kind of gives it to him and we're just, okay, fine. Great. He's Spider-Man. He swings and we like it. Like he, you know, he jumps and, and does all this kind of stuff. He shoots the webs. We like it. Um, I, I think, you know, that's one of the things that maybe holds this film back from being as fun as it could be and making it even more rewatchable. 
Yeah, that's that's a great point because you don't, you know, you you get a fairly good amount of time it, it, with him as Spider Man, but you know, when you go back and watch this movie, he doesn't fight. To me, he doesn't fight like Spider Man. This movie is a lot of punching and kicking. It's like two guys fighting in a bar between him and Green Goblin. There's there's not a lot of the agility in the fights. And to me, that's something that's severely yeah. lacking in this movie is the actual mobility of Spider-Man and the way he uses his webs and his agility and quickness to, to fight. Uh, certainly, you get some more of that in Spider-Man 2, and there's more of it in Spider-Man 3. But this first movie, man, they, they really relied on, on punching and kicking with spider-man which again going back and watching it it's like huh that boy i i didn't remember like how much it was just like boy he doesn't feel like spider-man so to speak in in the fight scenes you know it, there was something about them that was kind of nagging me and i think what you just said really helped me kind of put my finger on it but yeah. And you wonder, is it just the limitations of visual effects at the time? Is it limitations of the budget? Um, you know, did they not want to green light the kind of budget it would have taken to do that? Cause you just, you're taking a big chance again, you know, X-Men made a lot of money. X-Men was good, but you know, we had Batman and Robin out there too. <laughs> <laughs> no Batman and Robin. We have to do that sometime. We just have to, we have to do that one. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't even start talking about it because that will dominate my uh, my thoughts. <laughs> right, but so, you're right. I mean, when you think about some, especially that that last fight scene between Green Goblin and Spider Man, you know, you've got a guy who has webs that can swing through the air and has the ability to you know backflip and all these other things and can hang on walls, and you've got this other guy that throws bombs and has this cool glider, and they just kind of punch each other through brick walls. Right. And, you know, you get like a little glimpse, you know, the one scene where he hits him and then he shoots his web at Goblin and he hits him in the chest and he brings him towards him to like kick him. You get a faint, you know, taste of that Spider-Man fighting style. But yeah, they it's mostly rock'em sock'em robots between these two to, you know, to decide who's going to win. Uh, yeah, that's rock'em sock'em robots. It's the best way to put it. <laughs> so I, I want to switch over to, you know, to Harry and certainly you got, you know, this trilogy, it managed to get three movies and the seeds for Harry are, are started here. His friendship with Peter, I think is really well, you know, documented and you can start to see at the end when he finds his father dead and Spider-Man is there you know, you start to see the, okay, here's where we're going with the second movie. But that's something I will commend this movie on as well is his character, Harry Osborn and how he was really developed. Um, I'll save some of my, th my thoughts for development in Spider-Man three, but through one and two and starting here, I do think they did a very good job of portraying Harry Osborn, his friendship with Peter, his loyalty to Peter and his eventual, you know, descent, so to speak, where it really, you start to see that glimpse at the end of this movie. 
Yeah, it, it's uh, we've often talked about movies that try to make the sequel before they've made a good movie. Um, there's there's multiple examples of it, and the ending here, where you know Peter walks away from MJ and he, he you know he leaves behind the one thing he's always wanted. You know, one of the things that he's really wanted his whole life was was to have a relationship with her. And she finally realizes she does, too. He walks away from that because, of you know, he understands that that would be putting her in danger. And, you know, so it just sets so many things up. And then um, when when Harry makes those statements at the end, you can kind of see like, OK, if they want to do a sequel, you know, the ground is laid, but the ground is only laid because of the relationships that were built leading up to it. And I think the one with Harry and Peter is very effective. The one with MJ and Peter is less so. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't really think they did a fantastic job of really portraying that relationship. And maybe it is the chemistry between the two you know maybe it's the chemistry between the two actors because there's not a lot of times that you know i really believe that mj starts to like peter and you know mj is peter's whole world i i don't think you know and i i especially think from a character standpoint i i really think mj gets really bad in spider-man 2 and then i think there's a lot wrong with her in spider-man 3 but this is another aspect of this movie that going back and watching it it's like yeah there doesn't seem to be there's not a lot of chemistry here between these two there's not and i think part of it is just how bad the dialogue is um just the actual writing itself is bad. You know, you think about that scene in the backyard where, you know, she's, you know, her parents are yelling at each other, whatever's going on there. And he's taking the trash out. Like that whole scene is just so poorly written. And I don't think it's poorly acted necessarily. I just think they didn't have a lot to work with. And that's kind of why I made that episode two comparison because yeah, Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen weren't good in that movie. But if you actually look at the dialogue, they were handed to speak it's not great. Like it's really bad. Um, but there's, there's so many more examples of it. And I really think part of why it doesn't feel like there's chemistry between MJ and Peter is just the character of MJ is written so poorly in general. I mean, when you really think about her presence in this movie, her whole character is based around her relationships with male characters. And she doesn't even seem to like most of them in the first place. Like she never really seems to like flash the first guy she's in a relationship with. Then she starts, you know, dating Harry doesn't really seem to like him. You think about the iconic upside down kiss scene from this movie. It doesn't hold up the way you think it does. Like when you think about Spider-Man, one of the things you're thinking about is that scene in the rain, he saves her again and he's upside down and they have that kiss. The dialogue's terrible. Like it's absolutely awful. Like could not possibly have been looked at with, with a revision because it's, it's just really, really bad. And you realize she's literally just a pinball bouncing from guy to guy to guy. Just, Oh, I, I like him now. No, I like him now. No, I think I like Spider-Man now. And then you get to this scene where she's talking about her crush on Spider-Man in the hospital the whole scene is terrible. Why is this dialogue even happening? Real people do not speak this way. It's yeah. so bad. 
she then immediately stops being in love with Spider-Man and falls for Peter. As soon as she tells him that she's in love with Spider-Man, she immediately drops it, decides she likes Peter. And you can, as she's saying it, you can, I can hear the pinball machine sound effects in my head going ding, 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 ding. Like here's the ball bouncing all over the place. Like it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And MJ in the comics is actually a really, really interesting, cool character that does so much for Spider-Man, you know, supports him, has been through all kinds of things, thick and thin. Um, He wouldn't be the hero in the comics that he is without her. And it pains me to see how badly she's written in this. Um, I I just, I wish they could have done so much more uh, instead of just, she, she's the little shiny ball bouncing from flash to Harry to Spider-Man to Peter to who knows what. Yeah, no, she certainly is not the, you know, strong character who has her own ambitions, um, at least not in this movie. You know, she's certainly not. She She's not her own person. And, oh, this is what I want to do for me. It's literally, OK, well, what what guy is she with? What guy is she, you know, like you said, not even like fawning over. But which one does she kind of I don't know. Like, oh, I, I guess we could hang out. Like, um, she just bounces around exactly like you said. So I, I think you're you're really onto something there that, you know, not only do they not write her well, but also the dialogue that is involved with her is just, it's very, very cheesy. And they don't, again, they don't write her very well because I know Spider-Man, like, saved your life, but man, like, that phone call between her and Harry about, you know, like she's just gushing over like, Oh, he's incredible. And then Harry's, you know, that sad little puppy, like, Oh, I want to buy you something. Um, they don't give a lot to work with really. It, yeah, it's, it's garbage. Um, and you kind of, again, in 2002, we didn't care. We, we literally didn't care. It was a good, it was a superhero movie. It was on the big screen. People liked it. Uh, it, it was actually pretty good. Um, we, we kind of just swept all that stuff under the rug. Well, well now we've had some really good movies. Like we've, we've had Endgame. <laughs> like we, we've had Avengers. We've had, uh, Logan, <laughs> right. You know, we've had some incredible films that aren't just good superhero movies are actually good film. Yep. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to look past a lot of this now. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. It's hard to look past some of this. You know, I I do like, I want to point out also, I really do like the scene where Spider-Man and Goblin are talking on the roof because I think it's just, it's so, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really pinpointed to also talk about Parker's journey and, when Goblin tells him, you know, the one thing they love more than a hero is to watch a hero fail. And eventually they're going to turn on you and they do, but you know, it's Peter's decision to also still stick to that path. And I think that's again, a nice representation of his journey of Spider-Man and having this responsibility that, you know, even though somebody might not like you and they're going to turn on you, you're still going to do the right thing because 
you have these powers and you have this gift and if you're not using it do you are you then responsible for some of the things that happen if you're not using the abilities that you have to stop it so i do like that contrast of him telling him that people will turn on him but also parker still doing the right thing uh it's a great scene and and i think um you know, the, the reason he does the right thing, the reason he does use his abilities to help is not for the adoration. You know, he does it because it is the right thing, not because he's looking for the key to the city or anything like that. And there's many times where, you know, not just because of JJ, uh, JJJ, uh, but because of um, a lot of other things, you know, people think he's he's a villain. Uh, the people on the street know he's a hero, but that's not always the way that... Um, you know, his interactions with authority come in, uh, getting to that scene on the, t- on the top of the roof, there is something that happens there that I, I never need to see in a movie ever again. And it makes my skin crawl every time it happens. And it's, it's that iconic and classic. You and I are not so different line. Oh yeah. Every time I hear it, I groan every time I hear it. Why does this line keep finding its way into movies and TV? I'll never understand it. It's terrible. It never actually means anything because the hero immediately says we're nothing alike or, mm-hmm. or a version of that, or I'll never join you. So something along those lines, it's among the worst, worst movie tropes that are out there. Yeah, it's it's cringeworthy every single time it happens. And again, you just sit there and go, so Why? does this happen? (laughs) Like, why do you find a reason to put this in everything? Because it never sounds good. Like it's never satisfying. It never makes you get behind the character more. It's just like, yeah, we know. Like, <laughs> well, well, it's it, like when has that ever really happened? Where like, actually, you know what? The the hero and the villain they are a lot alike. Yeah, they they literally do everything the same. Like that guy who just like bombed an entire building full of people. He's exactly like the hero who was trying to save all of those people. You know, it wasn't until just now I realized how right you are. They are exactly the same. Like that's never happened once. So uh, if there are any screenwriters that are listening to this or aspiring screenwriters. Don't ever write that line of dialogue ever. ever. Yeah, please, please don't put that in. Uh, please don't. <laughs> do us all a favor, like free lesson right now. Like, don't don't do that line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> it's just it, it's as simple as that. So you know, Rob, what would you say? You know, there's a lot. Like we said, there's a lot of main characters in this movie. You've got Peter Parker, you've got Harry Osborne, you've got Norman Osborne, you've got Mary Jane Watson, you've got Uncle Ben, you've got Aunt May. You know, out of all these characters, who would you say does the least for you in this movie? It's got to be MJ. And that's, like I said, I and it's not because I think Kirsten Dunst did a particularly bad job with the role. I, I think she did the best with what she had to work with. Um but just the character is written so poorly that it's um, it's very disappointing to me as a, as I would, I would say at this point, it's been long enough that I'd call myself a lifelong fan of, of the character. Um, I wanted so much more for the character. Yeah, I, I absolutely would say I a hundred percent agree with that. She has terrible dialogue to work with and, you know, not only terrible dialogue, but I think her character is written extremely poorly as well. 
But on the flip I mean, think side, about of- the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, she says this line, and I wrote it down as a direct, as a direct. I was hoping I'd make it out of there so I could see Peter Parker's face again. Really, really. So you're about to be dropped from the top of a bridge by a maniac in a green suit that's on a flying rocket plane. And the only thing you can think is, man, I sure hope I see Peter Parker again, as opposed to, ah, ah right. don't drop me. Please don't drop me. I don't want to die. Like, oh my God. Like, that's just, it's such crap. It's, and, and again, it's just like 10 seconds before in, in movie time, she was with Harry. It, and, and then five seconds before she decided she was in love with Spider-Man before she realized she was in love with Peter. What? Yeah. What? Yep. Yeah. You know, on the flip side, though, the other side of the coin here, it is a Spider-Man movie, but, you know, do any of these other characters, they take your top spot for, you know, who you like best? So I'm actually going to go a little off the board. Uh, You put a pretty good list out there. And if you told me uh, that Tobey Maguire, Willem Dafoe were your favorite characters from this movie, I would go, yeah, I get it. Uh, I'm going to go to a character who doesn't get as much screen time, but I'm going to say that... Just, just kind of like right off the top of my head without actually making my own list is among the most perfect castings in the history of almost anything ever. And that's J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. I, as soon as he flips the newspaper down and you see him, I mean, you can't get any more comic accurate uh, with the exception of Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier. That is the one uh, that I will always say is the best casting ever. Second best casting ever is, is JK Simmons as, as J Jonah Jameson. He nails the character. I mean, I've never necessarily like in my head heard his voice, but now that I've heard JK Simmons as his voice, I can't read J Jonah Jameson in comics without hearing JK Simmons as that character in his, not just his voice, but his delivery, his line, his, you know, just his rhythm, everything. Um, it's, he's amazing. He's perfect. And I, I just love it. And, and I'm so glad that they're bringing him back to re portray the character again, because how do you, how do you get somebody else to do that? I just, um, I, I love it. Yeah. I, I'm going to agree with you. I think he is just perfect. And like you said, from that, that opening moment, he flips on the paper and everything he says after is just is perfect. He brings that character to life so well and his, his disdain for Spider-Man and his, you know, throughout some of the other parts, of the movies where you get his cheapness and he doesn't want to spend money or I'm not printing a attraction and everything in between. He is so well cast that I'm, I'm in a hundred percent agreement on this movie. Um, he definitely is my favorite part of this movie, which is really wild because again, it's, it's a Spider-Man movie and you're sitting here saying the newspaper chief, is your favorite character <laughs> of the movie. So it, it just goes to show you. And again, for listeners, like I don't want to say that in any way, shape or form. Am I saying the movie is bad or, you know, the characters are terrible. It's just, he, he embodies that role so well. And you said it so perfectly, like name a better casting choice. Obviously there's, you know, some people that come to mind, but man, he is, 
I think if you think top five, he would be on everybody's list of, okay, who, who do you identify this character with? And he's, he's right there in that, that upper echelon of, of top five. For, you know, you think about having to adapt an existing property, especially a visual property like comics, where you have a reference of what the character looks like. Um, Oh my goodness. He's, you know, um, Robert Downey Jr. is right in that same range. I mean, he looks like the character. He's had, you know, his own history of substance abuse that identifies him with the character. Um, you know, him as, as Tony Stark is is about perfect. And J.K. Simmons is is like perfect. Patrick Stewart is like perfect. I mean, that's that's like your trinity right there. Yep, a- absolutely. The definite, definite. For me, that would probably be exactly at what you just said. So, you know, Rob, as we're, as we're coming up here, I'm running out of popcorn. So I'm going to ask you, I'll start. I I want you to, I'm interested to see what you say about this least favorite scene in this movie. For me, it's because it is so absolutely unplausible to me that this would happen. I really don't like the burning building scene where the girl is able to pull Peter Parker up. I don't, I just, I don't like that scene for whatever reason. It bothers me a lot where it just, it it doesn't work for me. And I really just found myself like groaning at that scene. Yeah. There's a couple scenes that I really dislike. Uh, I already talked about the hospital scene enough. Uh, I talked about the upside down kiss scene enough. I want to talk about something else that has always kind of mystified me about this movie um, in terms of, you know, scenes that, that don't work. Or I would, I would say this whole stretch is, is pretty bad for me. Um, so he's going to make $3,000 to do what exactly? So is it, pro wrestling is it an underground cage match because it it looks like i mean we've got macho man randy savage and they're basically playing like a, a macho man randy savage without the hat and the sunglasses and and it's he has to survive three minutes in a pro wrestling that's scripted like even in 2002 we already knew it was scripted like they already came out and said that it was scripted so is this an underground like is this MMA is this pro wrestling like what exactly is this this doesn't make sense you just three thousand dollars to to survive a scripted uh about like uh, although having macho man in there and bruce campbell at the same time what was kind of cool so that to me just i never understood that it was weird and then when the uh when the guy that rips him off that eventually kills uncle ben uh, is running down the hall and he's like you let him go and it's like uh He's like 17 and the dude had a pistol. What did you think he was going to do? <laughs> like, bad guy with a gun. This guy's 17. Like, and they don't know he's Spider-Man yet. Like, um, that. so that whole segment, um, I've never been able to get my arms around the explanation of, of what exactly he's getting. Because it if you write it into, you know, how the outcome is, yeah, sure. He'll survive three minutes with a pro wrestler because it's fake. Like, right. I don't know. I, I, I'm not like a huge pro wrestling guy. And by not a huge pro wrestling guy, like I'm not into it at all. Like if that's your thing, then that's your thing. Like, you know, be happy, enjoy, enjoy the things you enjoy. Um, but I'm not into, like, I'm really into MMA, but not pro wrestling. So to me, I'm like, what, this is dumb. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think that's a, a really good comment. And, 
Uh, one that I actually didn't really think of for that scene. So definitely uh, see where you're coming from with that, because when you're sitting there thinking about the logistics of it, it's like, yeah, well, wait, why would you like, wait, why would you pay him that? Like, why is that happening? And then, yeah, the cop to be like, you'll let him get away. And it's like, mm, uh, yeah, I'm a kid and he's got a gun. Like, I don't yeah. know what you wanted me to do here. Yeah, I'm a high school senior and, and he's got a gun. Like you would like in the real world, they'd be like, Stay safe, like get away, like, you know, don't don't try to do anything. Like, what are you kidding me? Like they were like really like condescending about it too. Like, you let him get away. Right. <laughs> exactly. Gun? <laughs> high school senior. <laughs> so we we got our least favorites in. Favorite scene. Um what is the scene that sticks out to you the most in this movie? Was it the same? Like, do you remember what it was before the rewatch? Did it change or did something on this recent watch really just kind of go, Oh geez, that was, that was awesome. Um, there, the couple scenes that I knew I was going to like, uh, I actually, I thought it might've been the final, final battle scene. And then I watched it again and I started seeing all the things that you kind of referenced earlier. So it kind of went down a little bit in my mind from where I had it prior to my rewatch. So favorite scene for me in this movie is when uh, goblin attacks the daily bugle. We get, you know, the lead up to it is some great, you know, JK Simmons work is, is Jonah. And um, you know, you kind of see Peter starting to take on that freelance photographer role that defines a lot of, of who he is in his alter ego. Um, and, and, you know, we get the goblin attack and then we have Spider-Man, you know, shoot the web and, and shut Jonah up. And, and he says, uh, let mom and dad talk for a minute. It's one of the few <laughs> Spidey quips we get. And I wish we got, I think you talked about this earlier. I, I really wish we would have got more of that. It's one of the few that we get. So that whole stretch uh, would be my favorite scene. I, and like you said, I wish we would have got more of that because it's, it's just such a great part of the character. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. I think that's a really, really good scene. I do really like the initial, even though we don't get a lot of particular Spider-Man stuff, I really do like the attack on the parade. I think that's a really good scene. It, you know, Goblin showing up, throwing the bombs, even though the CGI is really bad when he vaporizes the board crew. Uh, oh god it's so bad (laughs) it's terrible um, i I do still like that scene a lot i think it's you know for the most part it's well shot it shows the pop like it shows goblins like actual strength compared to spider-man so i i that one wins out for me narrowly for my favorite scene of the movie yeah, and right around that scene is where uh, Spidey saves MJ and they're flying through the air. And it's among the worst visual effects in the whole film because I'm fairly certain she's holding on to like a tackling dummy. I don't think that's actually right. a person she's hanging on to. I'm, I, think it's like, I think it's like one of those grappling dummies that you use when you're trying to work on jujitsu at home and you don't have anybody to work on it with. Like they just kind of put a costume over that and then, you know put a green screen up behind them and just like rolled the, the scenery behind her as she was just supposed to act with it. Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely does not hold up incredibly well at all. So it, it's going to be time here to, you know, roll the credits and roll credits is 
We're going to talk about some interesting facts about the film, whether it be the box office, maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff. It's also where we go over our rating system for the movie. So, Rob, there's a lot of box office stuff with this movie. I'm just going to run a couple of these by you, and then you know whatever comes to mind with these numbers, just you know say how you what you think about these. But when Spider-Man first came out. It was the first film to reach $100 million in three days. It was also, at the time, the most successful film based on a comic. The third highest overall grossing film of 2002. It was the fastest film at the time to reach $100 million, and it wasn't beaten until four years later. Also was the highest one-day opening until for, at $39,406,000 until Spider-Man 2 beat it four years later. It's also Sony's highest grossing film until 2018. Think about that. 16 years, this was Sony's highest grossing overall film. It was also the highest grossing origin comic book film until 2017 when wonder woman came out and it had the highest grossing domestic total until 2008 when the dark knight was released this movie held on to records for an insanely long time which is amazing. Um, you think about just how many films have come out in that stretch of time. Um, you know, I don't have like a calendar in front of me or anything with with everything that released. But th- like if you went through and found some of the movies that came out during that 16 year period, you go, oh, yeah, that had that definitely would have beat Spider-Man. And to think that it that it didn't is really impressive. And like we talked about kind of at the top of the show, this film really set the stage for what could come later. I mean, think about. Think about your reaction when you heard they were making a Spider-Man movie and you saw the first trailer and it looked good. Like I, I distinctly remember right. they had a trailer with with him in the hospital with Aunt May and she says to him, "You're not Superman, you know." Like I distinctly remember being in a theater. I don't even remember what movie I was watching, but they rolled the trailer for that, and and I remember how excited I was. And now, you know, all of these years later, we can go to movies with a talking raccoon and a tree that only says I am Groot. Like you, you think about that. Like it, it started with the success of this film. Uh, clearly people heard. And I think what else is interesting about that, how, how did people tell one another that a movie was good in 2002? Like you actually had to like tell somebody that it was right. good. Like, <laughs> right. Like, not everybody had smartphones and, and I don't not, text messaging wasn't even really as ubiquitous as it is now. Like there, you couldn't just log into your favorite social media page and, and check in to the movie and then immediately post your thoughts. Like there weren't podcasts like this where people could, could tune in to find out if a movie was worth seeing or not. This was literally one human being saying to another human being, this movie was really good. I can't believe how awesome this was. You need to go see it. Right. Exactly. Um, So just some amazing, amazing box office numbers. One thing too, you know, behind the scenes stuff that I found interesting. And for me, I didn't realize this until this year, but 
I, I didn't realize that the cafeteria scene where he catches the the items on the tray was actually practically shot. He caught all of those items that went up in the air. And I thought that was like really odd that you went for practice, like you tried that over and over again until he actually caught that. Ooh, I did not know that. That's <laughs> I always assumed that that was done uh, with some some VFX. Yeah, no, that was a legit shot in the movie. Um, you know, and one of the other things that I, I find incredibly funny, and again, it's just like, well, you know, way back when they didn't have that, but during that that parade, um, there was actually talks to get Hugh Jackman to be in the crowd. And it was going to be, it wasn't Hugh Jackman. It was, he was Logan in New York city during that parade, but obviously studios couldn't agree. Um, and that never came, but that was part of the script is that they were trying to get Hugh Jackman to be in that movie. I had never heard that one too. Didn't we have a, uh, a, uh, behind the scenes facts somewhere for incredible Hulk that they that they were supposed to talk about that Nick Fury is supposed to talk about the X-Men in some way. Yeah, there's, you can actually find the footage. Um, it's after it, it's after the first Iron Man movie where he says he's here to talk to him about the Avengers initiative. You can find the video on YouTube, but he's like, you know, we have people getting bit by radioactive spiders and mutants. And I can't remember all of it, but yeah, there was a much different end credit scene that they shot for the original Iron Man. It's amazing to think what would have been if studios would have been able to get along. Right, exactly. Um, You know, one of the other things that Rob, we never touched on, but when this movie was, you know, being made and when it was marketed, there was World Trade Center footage that needed that they decided to cut from this movie. There's there's a trailer online that shows the world, the World Trade Center um, in the trailer. You can still find that online. But, you know, obviously the decision was made to to cut that for obvious reasons. But that was something that they had to go back and and do as well in this movie um, because of uh, obviously what happened on 9-11. You know, that's um, it's amazing the impact that that has, because this movie would have been already in the can uh, by the time that even happened. Yeah, um, it's it's unbelievable. Some of those things. And you just think some of the things that the pandemic has caused uh, to the film industry. I'd even heard with the most recent James Bond film that they were talking about doing some reshoots because uh, I think there was some product placement that possibly Nokia had um, that now that item was no longer the hot hot item that they once thought it was they were going to have to find a different uh, piece of tech to put in instead. Right. Um, it's crazy how these things happen. It's seriously crazy. And one, one other fact that I, I found for this movie that it's, it makes me laugh. Not that it's what happened is good, but um, on production, several of the Spider-Man suits were actually stolen. Um, and they were, they're valued at $50,000 a piece. Uh, eventually they found out it was one of the Sony security guards that was stealing the suits. Uh, they got a tip from his ex-wife 
and <laughs> during so you know <laughs> happy wife happy life but but when they actually searched his home during the search not only did they find the spider-man suits they actually found he had stolen a hundred and fifty thousand dollar batman costume from the warner brothers lot back in 1996 Ooh, is he so, was just a collector or was he was he planning to sell these things because no he willing to he, bet he collect he was collecting he he still had them if you had a, a batman suit from the 80s and you put that on the black market is there any chance that thing goes for less than five hundred thousand no, I that, that goes that goes way more than that. Like the an original Spider-Man suit, especially if it's in like, you know, pretty good condition. Um, yeah, like you won't necessarily find like Planet Hollywood wouldn't go like under, uh, you know, uh, off the book, so to speak. But uh, a private collector who could who could put that in their house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're in the one point three million range. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last one, Rob, by any chance, do you have any idea who the initial people were that they tried to get to play Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Cause it's not Tobey Maguire. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's um, these things almost never the, the first, the person who actually plays the character is the one they had in mind. Um, I, I said that you, there's tons of them out there. I know there was a bunch they ran through for uh, Mary Jane, but uh, no, who, who was it they wanted for Peter? This is a, this is a wild list. Ready? Colin Farrell. yep heath ledger oh wow this next one i'm like oh my god ewan mcgregor uh no no right scott speedman which if you don't know who that is um i know because he's michael in the underworld movies um but oh my yeah i just yeah now i now i know who you're talking about yeah Yep. All of these actors are too old. Yeah. Him and then Wes Bentley. Um, but Raimi was absolutely insistent on Tobey Maguire. That's who Raimi wanted, and he eventually won. Um he, yeah, he does such a great job as Peter. Um, and you believe that he's this quiet, mild mannered kid that, you know is passionate about science and, and is a good friend and all of these other things. And he's, he's a loving nephew. Um, you believe all these things. And I just, as good of actors as all of those people are, you just named, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't bring that same kind of unassumingness to the character. Right. Right. Exactly. So with that being said, you know, let's talk about, our rating for this movie. We both said at the beginning, we had an idea of where it was going to be. We rewatched it and it certainly changed. So we do a very simple scale one to five. Sometimes it feels like when you rate something like a three, it doesn't, you know, it's like, ah, geez, that feels like it's too low, but you know, we one to five uh, on, on the scale, Rob, where do you have, what was your initial thought? And where did you end up after the rewatch? Yeah, I thought I was going to have this at like four and a half, four and three quarters, um, just from the way that I remember this movie. 
and it's going to sound like I, because I, I've definitely complained a little bit about some of the decisions that were made and some of the things that they've done and how there's certain things about this movie that, that just don't really hold up uh, as well as they did when we first saw this. Um, so it's going to sound like I dislike this movie. I, I actually don't dislike this movie. Um, all that being said, uh, this was a, is three and three quarters of a reel for me. Uh, 3.75 reels. Um, it's still a good time. You're still going to enjoy it. You're going to notice, um, you know, the, the holes. You're going to notice some of the problems, uh, especially if you're somebody who's watched the entire run of the MCU, uh, you know, watch the best parts of what we've gotten from DC um, and just love good film. Um, you're going to notice some things about this that you didn't notice, you know, um, at the time. Nostalgia is kind of weird, right? Like you only remember the good parts. Uh, right. You don't always exactly. kind of gloss over some of the parts that, that weren't so great. Um, so it's, it's 3.75 reels for me. Yeah. You know, I actually have it a little bit higher, but when I first thought about this movie and my initial, like, how did I view this movie when I first saw it? And it's been a while. I really was just like, you know, this, this paved the way for what we have today. And because of that structure, I was like, this is a five because of everything it accomplished because of what it did for comic book movies. It, it's gotta be a five. I do have it at a four after we, after a rewatch, I have taken off a full point, um, you know, for a lot of the stuff that we talked about, there's some really bad dialogue. There's some questionable CGI in this movie that I don't, I did not remember being as bad as it was. And Spider-Man's lack of being Spider-Man in, in fight scenes where it's just the punching and kicking. I feel like it does take away from the movie, but again, in, in no way, shape or form am I saying like, Oh man, this is, you know, way worse than I remember it. It is still a very, very good movie laid an amazing groundwork. And again, I do Rob, you mentioned this, so I'm, I'm going to piggyback off that. I do credit this movie for wanting to be a good movie and then secondary, it was, well, we've got places to go if we get a sequel. Um, certainly, like you said, we've seen that where it's, well, we're only making this movie to get to a second movie and you lose sight of the fact of, well, this thing is really bad. So nobody's going to care to see anything um, for a second movie. So I appreciate Raimi making a good movie while laying the foundation to having people wanting to see a second movie. And what the heck do you even really need to do to make a Spider-Man sequel? You don't need to lay any groundwork at all. Like it's, it's a bonus that they did, but they could have just ended the movie. However, they chose to end it. And then we just, you know, the next movie is just Peter Parker getting through college, taking pictures for the bugle. And then you pick out any one of his 27 great, awesome, compelling, interesting villains and you just throw that against him. Like you don't even really have to set anything up. It's a bonus, but right. you don't even have to. And, and I think so many movies lose, especially with a character like Spider-Man, he doesn't need anything. He's Spider-Man. Like you don't have to do anything to make him more interesting. Yeah, no, abs absolutely. So, you know, we're pretty close on, on what our ratings are. I'll certainly be interested to see where we stand with, you know, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man, because the, those are the ones that I'm going to be the most interested to rewatch is the Amazing Spider-Man series. 
Yeah, uh, it'll actually be my first viewing of them. I've just never gotten around to it, and I've always heard about how uh, not good they are. Um, so it's not something that I've taken the time to do. But um, with with certainly the way they're going to tie into uh, the next MCU Spider-Man film, I'm going to need to because I, I don't. It's we've gotten to the point where the MCU there's so many Easter eggs, there's so many things tied in, and I'm such a fan of the series as as anybody who's listened to my appearances on this show could could probably figure out. I would hope. Um, I I'm so into it. Like I I don't want to miss anything. Like I want to catch all of it. I want to see all of it. I want to I want to know what every little callback means. Like it's that important to me. Yeah, no, it's going to be really exciting to hear what your reaction is considering it's going to be your one I, I'm not going to say only viewing, but you know, it's going to be your first <laughs> like viewing. Will be. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's going to be your first viewing to watch those and then we're going to sit there and, you know, pretty much almost immediately really the way the schedule is turning out talk about those movies so that'll be super fascinating uh, and then i'm just really looking forward to re-watching those movies on my own because i've only watched i have watched both of them twice and just i really kind of said like i'll never watch these again um after the second viewing so now going back and really having to i'm hoping i'm not just like jaded where i'm not paying attention to them that i'm just doing it just to do it so rob i want to give you another you know, another chance here, obviously repeat listeners are familiar with you. We've done so many episodes together. Um, but also you do have your own little show here on Matt goes to the movies where you've done a couple and, you know, with this schedule coming up and I know you certainly have a lot of things going on, you know, is there, have you been able to figure out a time when you're going to be able to bring some more, um, you know, of your own personal views for movies that you've liked to Matt goes to the movies. Yeah. So um, we're getting through Spider-Man uh, as well as um, Hawkeye. Um, and then we also have uh, to finish up the Halloween <laughs> specials that we were doing. It'll probably be December by the time we finish it. Uh, Army of the Dead, we're, we're going to be doing all of those things. But as far as the, uh, you know, the extended podcast universe with my brother, Eric, once we kind of get past all that, um, you know, we, we know which film we're going to do next. Uh, it's something that he really has a lot of fun doing. Uh, we've had a chance to record four episodes in that now. And, uh, something that is kind of just a, a cool bonus thing that Eric put together is, um, uh, you can search for these, uh, on Amazon music, but actually Spotify is really what we recommend. Um, you can search for Matt goes to the movies EPU, and he's got, uh, customized playlists that are inspired by the soundtracks and just the overall feel and the nature of the film that uh, we've had a chance to talk about and I still am rocking out to the one that he put together for our Gone in 60 Seconds episode because it's it's just a great great collection of kind of that early 2000s like Crystal Method Moby uh, kind of industrial EDM feel it's it's a lot of fun and uh, so it's, it's just something cool that he put together and uh, I encourage listeners to check it out yeah those playlists are really really cool so if you haven't checked them out i i definitely would they are a great listen uh those episodes have been super well received on this channel so i really look forward and based on you know the previous episodes and how listeners have you know taken those in i'm sure they are looking forward to another edition of that extended universe so you know, 
listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Again, if you have subscribed and you're a repeat listener, thank you guys so much. Uh, if you know this Spider-Man marathon that we're doing has brought you to the podcast, welcome. Uh, we'll certainly look forward to to going on this journey. And with that, you know, don't forget to interact. We've got some polls going on for Spider-Man. We have, you know, certainly the Facebook page, Instagram, TikTok, uh, starting to do some more stuff on YouTube. There is a Facebook group me page, all of which is notated in the show notes. Interact with those. Let me know. Let Rob know. Uh, also, you know, tag the basement binge Harrison will be on these episodes, but we absolutely love the interaction hearing what you guys think of the episodes, the movies that we're covering. So be sure to click on the show notes, hit subscribe to stay up to date, you know, not only for all these Spider-Man episodes, but like Rob said, uh, we've got army of the dead that we still have to finish up from Halloween and hopefully very soon, another episode of the extended podcast universe. So, until next time, thank you for tuning in, listeners, and we will see you real soon at Matt Goes to the Movies.